0: Welcome to the Shit Show of My Twenties. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20 something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of Shit Show moments, and I'm sure there's more Shit Show moments to come. So much fun. But <laughs> while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20 something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people and I hope that through these stories you're able to see yourself in these stories and it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Nico. I love chatting with him. Nico has a proven approach to unleashing your ultimate potential scientifically backed peak mindset coaching. He is a former elite level athlete. He has undergone world class training in both the body and the mind. His top level sporting career combined with a master's psychology degree makes his approach highly effective and unique. He used to work as an assistant professor and quality of life researcher at the Free University of Brussels until he decided to fully focus on his martial arts career. Now he uses hypnosis practices and mindset strategies of world-class athletes with high performers in both business and sports. He trains high performers to turn the stress, setbacks, and in intense conflicts into a competitive advantage in this episode we go into so many incredible things from how to turn stress into your competitive advantage relationships how to stay calm in stressful situations and so much more so excited for you guys to hear this episode let's get started so thank you so much Nico for joining me today I'm
1: really looking forward to getting to know you so I'd love to know about your 20s tell me about any shit show moments let's start there yeah, give me like the highlights, any like major growth moments you experienced in your yeah. 20s, yeah. anything you well, feel like. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, the first thing that happened was, uh, well, I became a champion when I was 20. Well, actually, I was a champion already, but I became a European champion. Yeah, my entire fight career happened when I was 20 and died when I was 20, but that's for later. Then the second thing that, that really shook me was my the death of my father when I was 21. That really was intense It was my best friend but i was very lucky you know i had the most beautiful example of how a man could be strong caring proud and very affectionate so i had the best of, of that you know besides that i had of course the, the the mentorship of my trainer who was another very warm affectionate man but more you know, like in the fighting world, then you know. And so I had two examples of what what a man could be, which I think a lot of boys uh, are deprived of these days. You know, so I was lucky, but it was also very painful. And I, I, I was, you know, the 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 good old boy, not a tear shed. You know, I'm strong for my family, which is of course something that you and he asked me not to do because he did exactly the same with his father, my father, but. You know, just the you know, nature of the beast, I think. And so, but because of that, you carried so much longer. You know, it's only when I was, yeah, 35, 36, I really got to grips with it. I went through a real deep process of looking at myself in the mirror and saying, oh, my 20s, I was actually a little bit of an asshole, to, me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a fuck boy, just, just doing all kind of nasty shit and going deep and then when went too deep being afraid because yeah it could be taken away and then what you do ah let's destroy it myself so yeah yeah there were a lot of high points and very deep low points in my 20s then another high point was like my, a bunch of my publications when i, I worked on university for two years you know and then i had the falling off with my mentor and I, well with my uh, with my promoter and you know I said, fuck it. Let's just go fully for my career, my fight career. So that's what I did, you know, since I was like 20, well, I, was, I think 25, I just went fully for my fight career. And then in my free time, I was studying, you know, because that was my hobby. I'm a nerd, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And then, yeah. You dive deeper in, you know, there's so much shit that happened. So,
1: yeah. And going back into like your fighting career, I find that so interesting. To go into that because like that's like it, i feel like there could be a lot of fear that comes up around like losing a fight getting like very injured there's a lot of stuff that could happen there mm-hmm. i'm curious like what's the biggest thing you learned from fighting and what was like the draw for you of like i need to do this like i really see myself having this career oh. as a fighter
2: i i was a kid i want to be a ninja then later i understood it was a bit of a myth and then I want to become a, when I'm a bit older I want to be a Native American warrior but then I understood yeah I was not born like that so was, so then I became a bit older and then I found mutai and I wanted to do something Eastern but uh, I was like well, Thai boxing is what they called in Belgium boxing. Boxing, I didn't like it until I went to see and I fell in love. You know, it was I did before some Japanese jiu-jitsu, which was very controlled, and I had to do push-ups all the time because I was too wild. Like they were kick, they were literally kicking each other down. You know, and so I was like, ah, oh. and so I started immediately. Uh, we didn't have too much money, so I had secondhand uh, gloves, second-hand shin pads, and I. And for the first ten years, I there was not a single week I didn't train. I was obsessed. Yeah, I just love battle. I know, it's it's. I think it's inborn. Uh, as a little, that's that's all I was focusing on. It was that, and then at the same time, around when I was fourteen, my interest in psychology became very very deep because I didn't understand anything of the world because I was a weirdo. Let's be honest, I was a weird little kid. And so, you know, both paths were, you know, start to develop themselves besides each other. Yeah. And, and yeah, well, I I was not afraid. I loved loved that pain. I loved that, you know, I was a slow slow starter. So the first two rounds, I always got beat up. And then I took it over. I just broke them mentally very often just because they kicked me hard in in the face. And I smiled and then you will go deep. And that's also the biggest lesson I learned, that Rocky is a liar. He, he has this speech where he says, it's not how hard you get hit, it's how much you keep on going forward. Well, that's just stupid advice. If you get hit, don't keep going forward, you know? If you get hit, understand how to go forward without being hit. That's something I I could do. it. You know, I was technical enough, but I just didn't care. And because of that, you know, when I was 29, my entire dream collapsed. I was going to do the Ultimate Fighter, the TV show. I had a contract with a team in upstate New York, where Cornell University is in Ithaca, beautiful town. I saw there was like a research department in Ithaca that was doing research to adult attachment style, which is what, one of, that I did research to before. So everything was aligned and then it all collapsed because I had retinal detachments. Both of my eyes were detached and... Uh, yeah, after seven more surgeries, I, I had to decide to hang up my gloves. So there was a bit of a, a thing, but I learned that, you know, yeah, I learned that. And recently I did like an ayahuasca ceremony and there it came back. It was like, it can be summarized in tranquilo gringo Nico, relax, <laughs> don't push too hard. So, yeah, that, So that's the thing, like, you know, my mind was stronger than my body. I literally destroyed my body my testosterone levels were really low uh, i think my eyes did save my brain you know my testosterone levels are back to a normal level which is really good because it's a good sign that my uh, brain injuries have been recovered at least for in major part so yeah I, I did i do think it saved me but uh, because i was just a little crazy kid you know
1: yeah yeah, and when you had to, like, let go of your boxing gloves, like, hang them up, like, how did you process that? Like, when you like something so much and it's like, you don't want to hang up the gloves, like, mentally, you probably mm-hmm. didn't want to hang up the gloves. How would you go through that process?
2: I'm still going through it. Yeah, it's like, I'm now in Thailand, I'm training a bit again. Now I can do it again. For a long time, I couldn't see a fight. Just hurt me for at least five to six years, you know. I stopped jujitsu because it hurt me because I couldn't do MA anymore. And yeah, it was was a real mourning because it was my entire identity. I had sacrificed everything as a woman that I was so in love with, but I knew she was really in love with Australia. And I want to go to the States for fighting. And, you know, and uh, I never really told her, but that was the main reason that I broke it up with her because I knew she would be unhappy because, you know, I would go to the States. And so, you know, and then I gave up my academic career. I gave up my PhD. I gave it all up just because of that. And then it all collapses before I could break through in the biggest organization in the world. So that was uh, an entire process. And then I went into this wild time, you know, just just partying and just... (sighs) Going after all the... I replaced the intensity of fighting with intensity of, let's say, unstable women. And then pushing their buttons and forcing, pouring. Like There's some wounds, so let's put some uh, some salt over there. Yeah. yeah. So that was mm-hmm. that was a, a ha- long process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And how did you go from that to the work you're doing now with like peak performance? Like, how did that transition go?
2: Well, for me, peak performance is nothing if you're not enjoying the process. So for me, that that is the the biggest lesson I had is like you know I became obsessed and and I was enjoying the process don't get me wrong I loved pushing my boundaries but I loved it so much so I I did not enjoy and almost anything else I sacrificed everything and that was not smart luckily I was besides studying because I'm a nerd and you know some more intimate moments you know but for the rest you know it was so as a job of focus and but what I see is that in a certain moment, like after I lost it once or twice, you know, which was really strange for me, I started grinding it even more. Well, actually, I should have rested because I was not tired, and so I should have allowed my brain to recuperate, but I didn't. And I see that a lot too with, with people in business or other athletes that they just go too hard. Their problem is not that they don't have the discipline. The problem is that they don't have the discipline relax you know and so once i started working with some people or with some pro athletes with some several world champions you know that that came up again and again because there's a reason that you excel exceptionally that you're a world champion that you are the owner of a fortune 500 company there's a reason like why would you work 80 to 100 hours a week it's very often to fill a hole but that's a hole it's like a whole, it's a ego based it's like you have like this deep pain in your heart this pain inside in your belly that feels so empty and you try to cover that with achievements and it feels good for a moment a little bit of dopamine but the thing is it's like a black hole and what does a black hole do well it eats everything that you put on top of it and then it becomes bigger so then you need a bigger achievement and then you come to the moment that yeah and that's the moment that my, actually half my clients come to me is the moment that they reach it all they just sell their company for 160 million dollars or day they are they have, have three specializations in medicine and now what <laughs> it's the, i still feel horrible and so it was similar for me you know i was i was so successful and just and then and, and, and then i destroyed it so so now i really feel very excited about that I can teach people you don't have to suffer. You don't. Yes, you have to push your boundaries. Yes, you have to go beyond your your, your comfort. This comfort. is so important to grow, but it's just as important to recuperate from that. It's like even when you want to flow. Everyone says, oh, I want to just flow in you know, my work." Yeah, but to get to flow, you have to struggle first. Otherwise, your brain doesn't give the right signals, and you need stress hormones to get at the attention, to get acetylcholine, the attention hormone, to get the dopamine going, to get the endorphins going, to get to that flow. So you have to push, you have to struggle, and then push your boundaries. It's almost too much. Then you put it away for a second or for a day, you know, then you go back to it. And then in that moment, all of a sudden, something clicks, and you get into flow. But then after that, and that's something that many peak performers forget, then you have to celebrate what you have with the people that you love i always see it like when you look back uh, back in the time uh, back in the day when grunt you know when the, the cavemen were hunting they were hunting after the mammoths or they were protecting it against saber-toothed your their cannibalistic neighbors and so there was like stress it was really important and there was long stress but then once they conquered it once they caught the mammoth it was a big feast Everybody danced, there were stories that were shared, everybody was laughing, they was making sweet, sweet love with each other. So in that moment, so we have those two systems. We have the striving pleasure, which is like stress, which is dopamine, is endorphins, which helps us to go after something that we don't have yet, or to work really hard to not get something that we don't want. And then at the other side, then, and that's what very high, many high performers forget, is that we need to recharge by celebrating what we have in the now with the people that we love, that's serotonin and oxytocin. And the interesting thing about this combination is that oxytocin and serotonin lower the activation of your body, but also, and very important, in your brain, it tells you you're a winner, you're a champion. And so what it does, it helps, it, it stimulates you to, when you face a new challenge, to go at it full steam ahead. It's the... It activates your approach um, approach behavior system of your brain, and so that's really important. Celebrate wins, even if it's a small win. There's a beautiful how's it called again? Like this death marathon guy, he does like two hundred kilometers, crazy, and he suffers, but he celebrates every step because every step is a victory. So that's something that 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 we all can can learn, but it's a hard process to understand and ah. Oh, the the police of life is not found in 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 the end goal no it's in getting to that goal because if and that's what and that that that's the second thing why i want to answer you from fighting why was fighting so appealing well because there was a very high probability that you would lose because it's hurtful because it's difficult because you have to sacrifice so much to get to the level that you can fight with the top of the world because if it's easy it becomes meaningless so I really want you to think, like, if you're really stressing about something, why? Why do you care? And then very often we get this big insight, like, it's like, oh, because it's important to me. So that's nice. So you become aware of what your values. is. Oh, oh, perhaps I stress, oh, I thought it was important to me. It's not important to me. It's important to my mom. For example, I do not care about safety. I don't care. Like, I like living well. My mom is traditional. She likes saving and all those things. And so when I was younger, I was really stressing about money. Well, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm intelligent. I never had debts or something, but, and I'm doing pretty well for myself. But as an entrepreneur, in the beginning, it can be quite challenging. And I was stressing until I realized, and I was thinking, well, why am I stressing? Well, because money seems to be important to me that's not true, is it? That's, that's not true, that's not true at all. But then in that moment, aha, I realized, you know, it's, it was for my mom. It's not me, it's not mine. And so then I could put that away. Now, something changed in a certain moment. A certain moment I got the free upgrade in business class. In that moment, something switched because in that moment I realized, oh, wait a minute, money creates freedom. And freedom is really important to me. So from that moment, something switched, yeah. But I, th- I think this is, this is one thing that I really learned from fighting. And that's what you do with fighting anyway, you know. You train six to eight weeks really hard. You fight, you go all out and then you rest a week, more or less. And then you eat and you get a bit fat. Well, I don't get fat, but like, I could get fat, you know, if I would get fat. And then you eat, you drink, you do everything. You party and then you go back at it. So you have that peak and that drop.
1: Very interesting. And like, do you think those people who are high performers, how do they balance the two? Cause they need a certain level of that to be the high performer that they are, but how do they balance between relaxing and being the high performer? Well,
2: some do not relax enough. That's why they, you know, I had people that, you know, only through hypnosis, they relax enough and then they start to sleep. I know it, it's because they, it was a side thing. Like, I my sleep or that that that's a side note you know later it's not my priority until the moment that they notice like oh wow and then you know it's only once they start to focus on their health and focus on their relationships which is very often also ignored, you know, that things start to really shift because i also have several clients that come to me they're really, really successful they even have a fulfilling job you know and they know how to relax but they ignored their partner. And then because, you know, they were so focused on or, or their gym, and or their, their health and their performance, but not on, on the intimate relationship or the close personal familial relationships. And that's something that not a lot of people talk about that, but that is so important. One of the best things to protect yourself against burnout is having a supportive relationship, intimate relationship, that also excites you, you know, that's also important.
1: Yeah. And do you think anyone could be a high performer or do you think like high performers are just kind of like wired that way? Like something happens, they just always are, have been that way.
2: I think you have predispositions, dispositions, you know, there, there's some personality traits uh, like conscientiousness that, that is really high. Most the real high performers, they have the following combination. They have high conscientiousness, so they, they are really responsible. They have a deep pain in their past that has hurt their self-esteem very often they got only conditional love, so they only got love when they performed, or they never got love. So then that need for validation got translated in, I don't need no validation, I will validate myself. But the problem with I need I validate myself is still the need for validation, which means that if you need to validate yourself, you do not believe it. And then no matter what you try to do, to try to validate yourself, you just feel you're not valid. And the more you do, the more powerful this becomes. It's like when you want to suppress certain thoughts, the more you suppress those thoughts, the more impact that they have. While when you if you would sit in your shit, if you would sit in the, the difficult emotions and thoughts, you actually when you sit in it, it it's not that bad actually. I can handle it. And if I can handle it, perhaps I can just ignore it while I'm doing things that are important to me. You know, you have a lot of coaches that talk, ah, you have to first change your limiting beliefs. I'm like, yeah, bullshit. Because then nothing will happen. Well, you know how limiting beliefs get changed, really changed, by behavior. By learning to hear your thoughts, learning to feel your sensations, feel your emotions, and decide step by step to do what is important to you. To live in line with who you would like to be. And then you will become this person. Is that easy? No. That's why I very often say, I help people to live a full contact life. That means full contact, referring to my fighting. But that also means to, yeah, you want to live fully or not. Because many people, when off they get hurt, and I, I do that so much. They create like this panther, this shield. But then, yes, you have less pain when you close yourself off. But you can only have less pain if you have less enjoyment, less pleasure, less joy. It's two sides of the same coin. Or you live fully, pure rapturous pleasure and enjoyment, and you'll be destroyed deeply when that gets taken away, which which will inevitably happen. Everything gets destroyed and everything gets created. And once you realize this, that, that we have those two sides of the same coin, well, then you can really understand, well, when you really learn to embrace all those different nuances in sensations, and feelings, then you know there's so much more possible. That's why these days I, I, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit afraid of what's going to happen with everybody that grew up with political correctness, with, with wokeness. Because if you can't hear things that are offensive to you, that's very painful, that's very dangerous. Because in that moment, you create conditions for other people to be. You create conditions for yourself before you allow yourself to be content with yourself. You make it dependent on how other people are acting towards you. I mean, I'm the first from racist or sexist. Listen, I love everyone. I want everyone to be fully themselves. But if you're gonna tell me that I have to use pronouns, well, I will not do that because that, in my eyes, but that's a very personal thing. It helps people identify with with an identity that is based on, uh, I'm being discriminated. No, let's focus on what unites us, on our shared humanity. There's like this example that I'm a big fanboy. And I'm not so often a fanboy, but from this man I'm a big fanboy. He's called Daryl Davis. Do you know him? No. So Daryl Davis is an African-American jazz singer, and he converted more than 220 Ku Klux Klan members. And you know how he does it? He just have meaningful mm. conversations with them. He asks them questions, and he really wants to understand why they hate black people. And so they say very offensive things. When I hear those things, I'm like, oh. But at the same time, he keeps connecting with them on a human to human level. Now, in that moment, when you do that, you create this space. And when you create this space, then magic happens. When then, because then they start to think by themselves. Oh, this this does not fit my preconceptions and that's what I believe like if we instead of teaching people about bias how we are how white men are biased and bad no let's let's see that we are all biased because that's the way our brain works it works through uh, shortcuts that's that's the function of our brain it's an efficiency machine and so when we embrace this we also know okay other people can be wrong but I can be wrong too when we really embrace this And from that basic fact, then we can start to find a way to connect. I really, I really, that's something I'm really enthusiastic about that. If that could, if you could change that, that somebody can insult you, really say horrible things. And you can sit there and say, wow, how do you, how does it come that you think like that? How much power is in that? Yeah. perhaps it's, it's something of my old generation. I
1: <laughs> and how are you able to stay calm even like when stressful situations are happening around you? How are you able to do that? Well, ah, it's a good thing. So it's actually not so hard
2: once you realize that stress is there to help you to adapt to your environment. Stress is a system, many people say stress is an outdated system. Yeah, that's bullshit. It's a reminiscent of our brain and our nervous system is very costly. It takes a lot of energy. And we want to have the most effective, the less, least amount of energy. Stress creates a lot of energy, asks a lot of energy. Why? Because it helps us to focus more, to be persistent, to get into action. Actually, it's the way your body talks to you. It says, listen, this is important to you. Pay attention. And once you learn to embrace that, then it becomes less overwhelming. Very often these days, we get told that stress is bad. And so what happens? We start to stress about stress before there's even stress to stress about. <laughs> you know, it's like, it becomes like this. And, and then it's very hard, of course, after a stressful day to sleep because then you just, oh shit, well, my, my health is going to be bad. But once you start to realize that stress can be really good for you, that it can be there to help you, then things change. There's a whole body of research now coming from, for example, Dr. Elia Krum from Harvard, I think, of Sanford. And she has demonstrated when you believe that stress is good for you, that literally people that believe that stress is good for them, that have highest stress levels, live the longest, healthiest and most fulfilling lives. And it's really interesting because when you have this, when you have like, you bought the so-called challenge response, you know, in other words, there's a stressful thing, and you think, I can handle it. In that moment, instead, yes, you get adrenaline. Yes, you get cortisol. So indeed, your heart goes up. Your breathing goes faster. But instead of your veins going constricted, which creates a higher blood pressure and all, all the negative effects, it keeps it open. And so what happens then? Well, your heart is going harder. you breathe faster. So your nutrients and your oxygen goes much faster to all the places that it needs. What is more, when you react to stress as if it's a challenge, that no matter what happens, you can handle it. The body releases anabolic hormones, the basic hormone DHAA, well, it's, it's like the most basic anabolic hormone that's at the basic of all, the, like the mother of all the others, and neural growth factors, so it helps you literally to recuperate and to grow. It's fantastic. That's the biological explanation of why believing that stress is good is true. But if you would believe that stress will kill you, it's also true. So it's, 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 it's fascinating in this entire field. But then how to, how to apply that? Like, okay, so suppose you have a stressful situation. I have a three-step process. The first thing that you say is acknowledge that you have stress. Ah, there is stress. It's here to help me. Acknowledge this. I went further. to my I was like, oh, I feel stress. I love it. Because in that moment, I know I, feel, I love feeling alive. Otherwise, I get bored. I need to feel challenged. But if you really reconceptualize it, so reframe it in this way, instead of something that's bad, it's something that is this urgency that you feel is actually excitement. So they say, I love it. And then you say, Okay, but why do I care? And then we can go what I just said. You know, you can say, Do I care? Okay, it's because it's important to me. But is it important to me? Or is it important to somebody else? That put it on me, like my parents or my uh, my teacher or my friends. And in that moment, you can use stress and intense emotions as a door, um, door to come close to who you truly are and who you want to be. And then you say, okay, how? Uh, so that's step two, step three is then just say, okay, let's use the stress, and then you focus on how you can or change the situation uh, to the best situation possible. And if you cannot change it, how you can learn to sit in the pain, in the difficulty, without running away? Because that's, in my opinion, the biggest cause of psychological problems. It's our need to avoid, our need to run away. Even schizophrenia... Is very often people that went through horrible situations that had predisposition, they went through horrible situations. And so, what happens, their brain starts to create all kind of scenarios that might be very scary and stuff, but it's less on a subconscious level, it's less bad than, situ- than the memory of what they went through. Hmm,
1: it's such an interesting reframe on stress. And I'm curious also, too, like, why do you think stress is a competitive advantage? Ah,
2: well. First of all, if you learn to embrace stress, then you will be so much more able to to navigate it. Because stress is inevitable. Actually, it's what gives the spice to life. It's so closely related to excitement. It has very much to do with how we interpret it, you know. So the same situation for one person can be hell and for all can be heaven. Like walking up to the ring, for me, I know a lot of fires hate it i love it it was the best moment of my life and when i see a fire i still crave it i'm like oh i would love it. only one more time oh <laughs> my brain knows like it's not a good idea but like, yeah that, that is a thing so yeah i think it has also a bit to do with, with with personality you know i always need a lot of stimulation before i feel life these days they called adhd but i just call you know i just need a lot of stimulation But at the same time, you know, I I believe actually, for me, I think every man should have at least one fight in his life. The preparation, going through the process, facing himself. Because that's it. Like, I realized at the end of my career that I was so addicted to fighting because it was about connection. And I'm a connection addict. Whether it's with a woman, with a good friend, or whether it was with my opponent in the ring. It was such a pure, primal connection. With your opponent in the ring, you both there. You know both that you want to f- fuck each other up. you both prepared as much as you could. Then you have the connection with everybody around you. People booing you, people cheering for you. And then you have the corner that was with you every step on the way. And then, the most important, you have yourself. You cannot run away. You cannot hide. That's why I, these days, love dancing a lot. Because it has the same thing. When you dance, you know, with a partner. You can't hide like with me it's very clear like i sometimes don't listen to the rules enough you know and then it's hard for a woman to follow so i have learned with the time, with time, to respect the the rules of engagement a bit more you know and uh, and so that's really fascinating it's really beautiful how yeah how, how how i love connection that's that's for me the meaning of my life that's uh, And it goes about the intense connection in fighting, the more soft connection in dance, more soft or more intense connection in the bedroom, deep conversations for hours, you know, whatever. I want to feel present with somebody. That's also why I love to do hypnosis. Because for me, it's my most direct way into a trance state, into a meditative state. Immediately, I'm there. I have to meditate. It takes me a while. But when I'm hypnotizing somebody, I'm there. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: how do you think conflict and arguments can make a better relationship? Because usually we have the association that's going to like harm the relationship or do the opposite. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, uh, a lot of people have the idea of intimacy as this. You meet somebody that you like. Suppose you wine and I'm beer. Suppose we suppose we meet each other. You know? What happens is we think, okay, we have to do a bit of you do a bit of beer with your wine. I do a bit of wine with my beer, until a certain moment we get like to this mixture that nobody wants to drink, because it's just half wine half beer, it's disgusting and if you put a little bit more beer with our wine, you will lose who you are, and so then we're on this crossroads and then we feel that we have to choose between ourselves, staying true to ourselves, or staying true to the relationship but then you separate, the problem is that you're so intertwined that it hurts extremely, and then you look for somebody else to lean on that, that's very often the normal way that many people in the West connect with each other. And, and, that, that's, and you become really reactive because every micro-movement of the other person makes you move too. So what's the solution? Or you go, you separate and you look for somebody else. Or you stay here, but then you will be both living next to each other. you know, And then we very often try to find something to distract us. You see it in relationships a lot. People cheat them. And they actually, sometimes they cheat to keep the relationship going. It's very strange. Or you see that, for example, the mother very often gives one of the children a lot of attention. The problem is that the child will start to create problems because on a subconscious level, it knows it's helping the relationship with the parents. And then the parents can connect over the problems of the kid. But then when the kid's problems stop, then the problems come up. And then very often they separate. It's very really interesting. So very often we triangulate, we try to lower our activation by finding a distraction again. But then there's a third option, but that's a hard process. That's why I call that full contact intimacy, which is you learn to stand on your own two feet. And then there's a space again. But when there's a space again, you know that your partner does not need you anymore. And that's very scary because they can walk away. But there's something else that happens when somebody has the space to stand on their own two feet. And you also have to stand around to free that, of course. But then there's a space. And in this space, there's room for the fire to breathe, to fire up again. That's the secret to long-lasting desire. It is staying true to yourself when your partner is pressing you to compromise while standing in connection. So what very often happens is that you, you're here, so you lost connection with yourself. Or you're here. So you lost connection with other people. And to me, the real key to an adult relationship, to a relationship that is fulfilling on all levels is here. That's real intimacy. It's showing yourself like you are. But that is so hard. We don't get taught how to do that. Most of us have never seen such a relationship where you can be brutally honest to each other and you can see each other hurt and you still hold on to what is true to you. But then... If you have such a relationship and then somebody chooses to do something to help the partner meet his needs, then it's a choice, and it's not a need. And if you feel free to be chosen, then you can feel, really feel chosen. If somebody is leaning on you, you know they don't choose you, they need you. That's not very exciting. That's very tiring. But if somebody is here, if you can learn to embrace that intensity in that moment and that and that's why conflict very often helps because the moment that we're here we're having conflict we don't feel connected because we overly connect of course we don't feel connected because we're disconnected from ourselves and so that's when conflict happens when and as you can choose because it's a decision to stay into the the cooker you know into the the pressure cooker of that conflict in that moment you can meet yourself and instead of just pointing the finger to your partner, you can start to point the finger to yourself. And that's what happens then, instead of focusing on how the other person starts to have to change, you start to reflect, like, well, wait a minute, I am a person, I don't need to do nothing. What will I choose? What was important to me? So in that moment, a relationship becomes the fast track for personal growth. Because it's never as hard as in a deep intimate relationship to stay true to yourself, And to say no, when you know your partner wants you to say yes, when you feel no. But only then, only if you have the pause to do that, in that moment, then a yes becomes really meaningful. Because then your partner knows when my partner says yes, they really want But it's not for everybody, because it is, like I say, full contact. It's really intense, for sure in the transitionary period, you know... If you go from this dependent relationship to really, like, you know, standing on your own two feet and choosing to stay together, that process is extremely rough. And there's never a promise that it's going to stay. Mm. But that's why conflict can help. Also in business relationships, similar thing happens, you know, and nobody's really saying what they want, to, what they need to say. Can also be because of the boss is too domineering or something, you know, but there is no, there's no what I call psychological safety. And psychological safety is not, oh, we're gonna be very pussy pussy teacher. No, psychological safety comes from the inside. It's your ability to hear things that you don't want or to say things, even though you know that the backlash may be big. That's in internal psychological safety. In companies, there's a lot of talk about external psychological safety where you have to create the, the situation, so people can feel safe to do that. But what is very often forgotten that you don't need the external world; that you can learn to do that yourself. But that's very intense. You know, it's it's, it's, it's called bravery. Saying what is the truth.
1: Do you right. think all couples could get to that point of not being like dependent?
2: They can if they choose to. If they choose to stay into it, but how many people choose to stay into deep, intense stress? Because people. When they're really intensely angry or sad or or afraid they forget that the only reason they feel so intense is because they truly care so much about them first that's something that often is forgotten in the moment and because we are raised with uh, hollywood where like, oh, it all is perfect with the right one it will go by itself it's such a lie and uh, granted there are people where it will go easier with them with others you know like it uh, there are people that you have much more aligned values with you know some people just are not aligned you know that then it's okay too but uh but mm. yeah but even if not you know mostly when some, one partner starts to really they call it self-differentiate you know start to stand on their own two feet the other person has two three options oh they're going to lean on somebody else or they fall flat on their face or they stand up to themselves and very often they will start to stand up to themselves because all of a sudden even they didn't hate you starting to say no while you always said yes on a subconscious level they respect it a lot because when you are brave enough to be true to yourself when you're brave enough to show yourself like you really are honestly transparently powerfully you give, them, you give them the permission to do the same thing. When it's with your friends too, when you are honest and vulnerable, then you give them the, the the same the same space. You lead by example in that moment. And in intimate relationships like that too, families too, that's why it's so important as a parent to be open to talk with your children, not as if they're little babies that have to listen, that have to obey the law now by communicating with them, explaining them why certain things are in the, why you believe that certain things are better for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you want to tell him? Or if you want to tell him nothing at all, that's an option as well.
2: 20-year-old, enjoy your last year with your father. And, and, And what I also want to say is, man, don't be so shy. I was very shy. I was very shy. Talk to those girls. They like you a lot, (laughs) Miko. You know a lot more than you think. We are so shy. I was facing world champions. I smiled in their face. A girl looked me in the eyes, boom. My head went all down. It's really funny, really funny. It is what it is.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this.
2: Well, all my pleasure. And if you have any questions, you can just shoot me. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where can we find you online?
2: Well, Instagram, Nico, let me see, I think it's Nico underscore Verrezen, I think. Yes, yeah. Nico underscore Verrezen, Facebook, same, same name. And then my name, org online, that's my website. So, yeah, that's the easiest mm-hmm. ways to connect with me.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening i love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.